It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in a wonderful study of God's Word, and yet we're going to deviate at the same time to another section within God's Word. You see, we have been at the Sermon on the Mount talking about the radical teachings of Jesus Christ, and we also know that the entirety of Scripture is God's word. He may have used a number of individuals to pen it, but it was wholly led and guided by God's directive hand. He gave us every word for a reason. It's all there, complete and errant, perfect and holy. And so as we shift gears a little bit today, it's still God's word, but we're actually going to look at James today. That's right. The book of James is known as the text that really is like a spiritual two by four across the head. (laughs) Whenever we go awry, it is the book of James that we need to turn to, to get us back on track. Whenever we have stumbled in our walkings with the Lord and we find ourselves looking an awful lot like the world, instead of being set apart as believers that we ought to be, it's the book of James. It seems to get us right back on track because through all five chapters, he talks about how our words are to be used, how we need to be quick to listen, slow to anger. And he was talking to believers. So he's giving us great instruction to get us back on the narrow path, to be careful with how we speak, what we think, what we do, to be doers of the word. Yes, this is a wonderful section of scripture. We're not going to go through the entirety of the book here today, obviously, but what we really want to put your attention to is chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. Hopefully over the next couple weeks we'll get through it. This proved to be a rather convicting message that we just went through at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. The message is titled, The Untamable Tongue. So to help me talk about the tongue, our words, this this two-ounce slab of muscle and mucus and nerves that gets us in so much trouble, the tongue... To help me to address this very serious subject, Dr. Steve Ford is back in the studio. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. They already heard my laughter broken because I thought that was pretty <laughs> hilarious. But I think this this is such a great topic and so timely, I think, especially today and even in the, the post-COVID world. I mean, there's so many, there's no restraint on the tongue today. I mean, arguably, mm. uh, you know, whether we're talking about television or the internet or, you know, what have you, it just seems like the tongue is just more unrestrained than I can remember in the recent past. And it's wreaking havoc. And applauded. Right, and applauded, yeah. Right? I mean, you yeah, go to social encouraged. media and you see people encouraged yeah. to just uh, be like a volcano and spewing anything and everything that comes out yeah, without, without restraint. Consequence. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And they, they seem to care less about how people receive it. And certainly we see unbecoming behavior, even from those who claim to be Christians, right. just in this what they deem to be a safe place for themselves, where they can just really reveal what's going on under the hood, if you will, right? So that's what we want to talk about, is how the tongue is a revealer of who we really are. And so we're going to spend some time going through verses 1 to 12, and and I know this is going to take some time, but Dr. Ford, I, I find it fitting to kick off this study with something we've often heard before, and it's a half truth, and that's what makes it even more dangerous. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> now, I heard that a number of times when I was growing up. In fact, I can vividly remember saying that 
is sort of a defense mechanism after some children had been mean to me when I was about the third grade at a private school in Austin, Texas. And I vividly remember how I felt trying to hold back the tears and saying that repetitiously in order to try to give myself more comfort in it. And I think even as adults, we know that that's not true. The first part's true. Sticks and stones may, in fact, break our bones, but generally they heal over time. At some point, perhaps even those bones are stronger than they were before, but words, the injuries from cutting words, critical words, negative words, those things last a lifetime. In fact, they seem to sink deeper and they almost can fester. If left unaddressed, they can seem to get more problematic than when they were first received. And it's, it really depends even on by whom you've received it from. That's right. It could be somebody of, of great respect that you once had for an individual, a prominent family member, a, a spouse, a friend who has betrayed you. These words are difficult to remove. Yeah, I think it's clearly evident. Like you said, from childhood, we remember these things 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. You know, they still they still have an impact. We still remember those things that were so hurting back then. I mean, how many... Uh, you know, psychologist's office are filled with people still dealing with the, the negative mm-hmm. ramifications of, as you said, people that were in a position of trust. You know, it, it doesn't bother us so much if if somebody that we don't know very well says something hurtful. It's like, eh, whatever. You know, they're not my friend. Still I don't know them. Does. They don't know me. But yeah, but it's not quite the same as when you know a loved one, somebody close to you, somebody who should know better. Right. You know, cuts you to the quick. And there seems to be a few less checks and balances. The the mouth guard seems to come out when it it might be somebody you're most familiar with. Right. Uh, You know, we do tend to hurt the ones we love the most. True. And we seem to be less concerned about how we say something, what we're saying. Is it going to be received with love? We just kind of lay it out there like it is. And, well, we're family. They'll just get over it. And not realizing the damage the lasting impact that could carry them through the rest of their life and affect children not yet born, right? The cascading effect, the ripple through the pond of time, I think is without measure if we are not careful with our words. And I, I find that James, because he dedicates a section within all five of his chapters to the subject of the tongue, to Christians, we need to understand the ramifications of it. We need to understand the great ministerial work that could be done with our lips, with this tongue instrument, and the damage that could be done. And you'll see the the magnitude that he compares it to, even suggesting very clearly that it's like hellfire itself that comes off of this tongue, that it is a working mechanism to deliver people unto life or unto death powerful. And so I'm confident, I I think I could speak for us in the room here and for those listening, that we would choose to have our bones broken by sticks or stones rather than having burning, cutting, seething words that sink deep into our bone marrow that can never seem to be removed, that could take a lifetime of counseling and therapy to undo and, and deep meditation of God's word, where you are just prostrate forth before God, seeking healing that no man can seem to give, a, a salve a, to this wound that no man can seem to heal. Only God can do that. Right. That's the damage that words can do. I recently read an article of cyberbullying. This was greatly concerning. I have children, five children, two are married, now two grandbabies, and yet I'm only 46, <laughs> so you do the math. I know, we've got a young family, but I would love being a young grandpa. 
Aside from that, I, have, I I don't understand why I have to give a caveat to that. Every time I say I'm a grandpa, I am proud to be a grandpa. <laughs> I'll just I'll just shout it from the rooftops here and blessed. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the article that I read, uh, it was a 2022 study by Pew Research. Nearly half, nearly half of all teens, 46 percent, have been victimized anonymously even through stalking, through text messaging, through social media. They'll even target special needs children saying things like, why are you still here? Clearly no one wants you. One 12-year-old girl in particular took her own life because two other children were bullying her via texting. This behavior is repugnant. Cyberbullying has become such a, a, a problem of epidemic proportions that October has been declared National Bullying Prevention Month. It is so sad to me that we need something like that. And so clearly there's a problem in the home. There's a problem in society that is now being made manifest within our children at large and how they're even communicating with one another. We know these problems exist. You need only to look to video games, entertainment. I mean, we see the the erosion of society all around us, and we can even go back to the 60s when prayer was removed from schools, when the Bible was taken out from schools, uh, when there seemed to be at least a, an allegiance first and foremost to being one nation under God. You take these things out of the classroom, you take them out of the home, of course, we're going to see a degenerate society that, that turn to such behaviors and call it normal, applauding such immoral behaviors and calling it good. It's all around us. But bullying is just one of many sins of the tongue that we can even see from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19 of these things that are detestable before God. I mean, there's gossiping, there's slandering, there's lying and whining and complaining, just to name a few. We can even throw in there maybe sarcasm. I mean, oh, yeah. in how we just expose ourselves. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Our sense of humor hmm. and we just expose what's going on really in the, the heart condition that comes out through how we laugh at things, right. how we engage with other people. Are we more consumed with talking about other people than we are about the Lord? Right. I mean, if we really spoke as much about the Lord as we spend time talking about other people, there would be far more salvations going on around us. I mean, this is a convicting study to be sure, and we're just getting started. And it, what it helps us to understand here by way of the text from James's powerful words here in chapter 3 of James, the tongue is ultimately a messenger that delivers the dictates of the heart. So every time we come across this word tongue, we need to be thinking about the heart because it reveals who we really are. And it really shows a spiritual maturation, a spiritual maturity, or lack thereof. Right. I mean, really, that's, that's revealed with what comes out of the mouth. So when we look back to James chapter 1, verse 26... It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, if that doesn't, doesn't shake us up, I, I clearly, I don't know what will. I mean, we need to understand that when we think that we're better than what we really are, the Bible may not hold to the same high opinion that we have of ourselves. I mean, quite frankly, if, if what comes out of our mouths is not bathed with WWJD, then yeah. we've got a problem. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you. I mean, personally, you know, 
two confessions. I've been shocked sometimes by the things that come out of my mouth. It's like, you know, Jesus. <laughs> Me too. And, Me yeah, too. No, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we try to keep that before the show, though. <laughs> uh, but yeah, even, you know, as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you know, right. I, I really like you're pointing out, I mean, this is a heart matter. So, you know, something will come out of my mouth. It's like, what does that say about my heart? Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. You know, obviously there's there's something within my heart, within my inner being that needs to be repented of and, and exposed to the light of Jesus Christ. That's right. I, you know, we'll get to some of the more really convicting text right. here in a moment. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I had a little fun with a particular study that we did before the congregation. We called it sound doctrine, that every sound that we make, there's an accountability for it. And you could see then by the power of music, how certain lyrics set to music can then resonate within the the chambers of our heart within the recesses of our mind we can we can gravitate to something if you ask people so often they'll be like well, you know why do you listen to that kind of music it's like well the beat's catchy it's like well have you actually listened to the lyrics that you're actually listening to in repetition and and they sometimes bear in mind the lyrics that they're listening to, but because they're sort of hidden behind a beat that captures a tone that resonates within their mind and they're attracted to it, desiring of it, they really aren't paying attention to the words that they're hearing. And then the very next conversation could be impacted by these subliminal lyrics and how they respond and treat women, how they talk to each other, how they carry themselves about the busyness of their day. They don't even realize the words that are penetrating into the mind yeah. and sinking deep and are now in your memory zone right. Right, for your mind to really dwell on for days, months, years to come. Yeah, whether they are positive or negative, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with whatever it is basically rerunning back in your head again? I mean, it's just whatever you <laughs> heard, right. it's just playing back in it. Maybe, you know, hopefully if it's praise music, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. If it's, it's something less worthy, then that's awful. But even as you were speaking, it made me think of the the positive aspect of all these things coming together. When we think about singing to the Lord in praise, we're bringing the heart and the mind and the body together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why when we're worshiping like that and we're singing praises to God, and you have those times where you feel like, like it's just like a touch of heaven, like you have a glimpse of what it's going to be to be around the throne and actually praise the Lord. When we bring all those different aspects together and praise the way that God designed us to use our mouths. That's right. You know, we got to think of our brain on a lot like a, a tree, that when you, when you cut a tree down, and we've often talked about the rings that you find within the right. tree. Uh, so within that core, you'll find that some rings are closer together than others. Maybe it had a little extra growth that year. Uh, you can see how sometimes the, the tree went through maybe some difficulty, famine, drought conditions, maybe a wildfire, whatever. You can really tell the history sure. of a tree by its rings. And the same thing is true of our brain. The brain captures everything around us. And the Bible wants us to be incredibly mindful of that, that what we receive into it really does go into us. Yeah. Right? It's like now meshed with our own DNA. So we've got to be very careful about what we process and take in on a daily basis. We've got all this information gathering equipment yeah. that God has put on our bodies, eyes and ears and nose and all the senses, and it does go into us and it stays in us. Yeah. And I think really in the recent past, I've been convicted by the fact that I bring Jesus into those things. The Holy Spirit resides within me. Mm. And so if I'm thinking about watching something, does Jesus really want to watch that? I mean, is this really something I want to bring the Lord into if I'm listening to something or like you said about the lyrics? And this isn't meant to be holier than thou, but just 
the realization that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And do I want to bring Jesus? Do I want to expose my Lord and Savior to whatever this is? That's right. Uh, or is it something that's that's a blessing and reaffirming and something that he'd be happy about? That's right. And I, I really do want to encourage folks to continue to go back and read all of James, uh, because as you do that, you're going to be convicted as we are that this is a, a message for all believers. There, there really isn't anyone who hasn't fallen short on a daily basis. This is going to be a lifelong journey as we are sanctified by Christ Jesus to right. go through the refiner's fire, that he purges all iniquity from us, all the toxins that that's all we know. That's the culture we've been in. Perhaps we've been raised in a home of screamers and yellers and cussers, and, and the Lord is purging these things out of us because that was what we deemed as normal, and he's going to teach us a new way. It's not going to be easy. It, it, toxins are very hard to purge from any system, especially the complexity of the human mind, the human soul. Yeah. And so allow God to do the great and glorious work through you. And don't be discouraged that when we talk about things that set the bar really high, and that's what we expected the Scripture to do, it's a daily journey, but you yeah. have to want that. It's just like the psalmist, you know, may the meditations of my heart, the words of my lips be pleasing to you, O Lord. I'm not sure that we really pray like that yeah. because we kind of like walking in the middle and we enjoy being a little bit in the world and certainly in the church when it's convenient. Yeah. And, and so we just want to be good enough, okay enough maybe to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth, but not really wanting to walk a pure and undefiled life, a righteous living kind of life. And that's where the good stuff comes in. That's the intimacy with the Lord. That's where we get the fullness of relationship. That's right. So what more should we really have a desire to attain? We need to change our appetite, our cravings, to want the goodness, the fullness of a relationship with God, not just the fire insurance of, well, I'm not going to hell and that's good enough. (laughs) Wait a minute. There's a whole life that is to be dedicated to the good things of God, to know him, to have intimacy with him, to know that when you're going through the fiery trial, you need not have to be afraid to think, well, I haven't really spoken to God in months. Is he really going to take my call? Uh, You you just have an absolute assurance of his presence because you have been with him multiple times in the day, and you know that he will hear, and you know that he will carry you through whatever fiery storm you're going through. So I find it perfectly fitting that James brings up the issue of the tongue right after discussing faith without works. Right. And we think, well, how do those two go hand in glove? I mean, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26 talks about this faith without works, being a doer of his word, and then immediately addresses the tongue. Well, I think there's there's two parts to this, very fascinating. In the absence of works, there is usually an abundance of words, right? So when we find that there's a deficit, that we're deficient in putting our faith into action, and that's not a requirement of salvation or for salvation, but because of salvation, we work. It's, a, it's the revelation there's fruit because there's a healthy root, right? That, that just comes out of it. It's a byproduct of a right. transformed mind and a life. But simultaneously, though, we can find ourselves doing a lot of lip service, making a big talk when there's no work to back it up. And so we find that there's an increase in words when there's a decrease of works, but also we, we see that the words reveal what's really going on in the heart, like a ventilation shaft right to the temple of God that's within us. As you mentioned, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit on two legs, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. So there's a justification by works, and we can add here justification by words, and the two are synonymous. I believe that words are a work. It's 
probably the most laborious thing you will find that you're going to do to keep the words in check as a representative and ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's a difficult task, especially when the heart condition is not right, because it has a tendency of revealing the hypocrisy. That when we have bathed our situation, our walk with the Lord with religiosity, the externals, and not dealt with the internal matters, we were going to be fighting against the heart condition with our words. We're going to keep trying to put lock and key on our lips, find that we're failing over and over again because we've never really given our hearts to the Lord. Right. And that's that's the deep revealer here. So, you know, the use of our words, quite frankly, I believe, is one of the most important things that we can do, what we draw away from this text, and the most memorable as I've mentioned before, you know, when when our day comes for us to graduate from this flesh, the kids aren't really going to care about your sofa. They're going to care about the words that you have imparted to them, those that were positive and certainly the impact of those that were negative. Yeah. one Didn't Jesus say at one point, by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned? Mm-hmm. That just oh, shows yeah. you the no, I've got that later in our study, Dr. Yeah. Ford. You're yeah. getting ahead of me here because <laughs> that is one of the most convicting texts that every idle word we will give an account for. Yeah. That's one that makes me squirm. Oh, definitely. Because uh, I, I fall the, uh, very short of that standard. Uh, let me read a few here in just our final minutes. We've got Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. He tells us a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy from Psalm 101, verse 5. And then we see Psalm 34, 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Then we read in Ephesians 4.29, one of my favorites, I had my children memorize this when they were younger, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Oh, and how about 2 Timothy 2.16-17, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. So we have to at least read some of James here. We've we've been (laughs) setting it up. He he starts us off in a three-part sermon, and we'll get to those over the next couple weeks. But firstly, the tongue is powerful. That's quite an understatement, as we know. But he says here, verse 1, James chapter 3, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, immediately when somebody hears something like that, they, they, they check out thinking, okay, wait a minute, this is a message for teachers. Whew, that was close. But that's not at all actually what we should draw from that because what we find later on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, Paul is actually reprimanding Christians for not being teachers. Right. They're all called to be teachers because you have the truth that's in you by your words and, yes, even by your deeds you teach. We we're told in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, and Matthew 28, 19, that we're to be disciple makers. And the Lord equates that to being a teacher. Right. You're a teacher. And then he tells parents in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, they're to be teachers of their children. So quite frankly, nobody is off the hook here. You should actually be ashamed a bit if you're not teaching in some capacity because you have the truth that's in you, whether it be a small group Bible study with your spouse reading a devotion, teaching your children. The reason why we may shun away from such a thing is because we're ignorant of the word 
or we have hypocrisy because we love our sin too much. And in either case, these excuses will not fly before God. Right. He will hold us accountable for these things. So, uh, you know, Dr. Ford, we're just getting into this. I'm going to save Matthew 12, 36 to 37 for next week. We talk about those idle babblings right. and being accountable for every word. So we'll get to that one next week. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we're really seeing here why many people have referred to James as the sort of the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. There's, mm-hmm. there's so much wisdom in here. And uh, we, had, we discussed this before, especially within the confines of marriage, uh, just the idea before we say something, does this, you know, asking, pausing and asking ourselves, does this thing need to be said? Is this the right time? And if this is the right time, is this the right way? That's right. Amen. So we've got a few weeks ahead of us, I think, on this vital subject. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. And this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. You can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. And we'd like to thank once again our sponsor for this particular program, Miss Debbie Bowles. She is a mortgage loan specialist. If you need help in this particular area, you can learn more at Loan Depot, and you can reach Miss Debbie at 719-231-8500. You can also find her at debbiebowles.com, NMLS 35092. Thanks for listening today. God bless you.